to me, writing was probably the farthest thing from my mind. I'm embarrassed audience does. I don't know that I ever read a whole book cover to cover. I thought I was going to go and make my living as an athlete. It never really occurred to me to be a writer. Now that I write books I can't read that are made into movies I can't see. Welcome to another episode of Write of Your Life, where life happens and life storytelling transforms it. I'm your host, Stacy Curtis. I've made it my mission to help people with tough life situations tell their stories. Why? Because life story writing helped me get through a very difficult time. The Write of Your Life podcast is committed to sharing compelling stories of ordinary people. Our goal is to help you, our listeners, know how to transform your own life by telling your life stories. Our show is brought to you by lifestorytelling.com. And guess what? You don't have to be a writer to tell your life stories. Lifestorytelling.com will teach you how. Welcome to another episode of Write of Your Life, where life happens and life storytelling transforms it. Our guest today is the amazing Jim Stovall. You already know him from his best-selling book and movie, The Ultimate Gift. After losing his sight in his early 20s, he became a successful investment broker and president of the Emmy Award-winning Narrative Television Network. For his work in making television accessible to our nation's 13 million blind and visually impaired people, the President's Committee on Equal Opportunities selected him as the Entrepreneur of the Year. He was also chosen as the International Humanitarian of the Year, joining the ranks of Jimmy Carter, Nancy Reagan, and Mother Teresa. Today, you'll hear some unusual writing methods and great tips from the very successful Jim Stovall. Jim, give us a little bit of insight into your background and who you are. You know, I grew up here in my hometown of Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I still make my home today. As a young man, I had no greater ambition than to be an All-American football player and go into the NFL and play for the beloved Dallas Cowboys. And the scouts and coaches and people who monitor that sort of thing assured me that I had the size and speed and talent to do that. It was just a matter of time until I showed up in the NFL, and that's how I thought I would make my living. Then one year before going back to play another season of football, I got the standard physical exam. They always make you get a checkup before you go play a season of football. I I think they want to make sure that you're healthy before they take you out and try to kill you. (laughs) During this routine exam one particular year, I was diagnosed with a condition that would cause me to lose my sight. Wow, you talk about all your plans go into reverse. I didn't know what I was going to do. I instantly realized there's no blind guys in the NFL. I think there's a few few referees we're a little concerned about. There's no blind guys making a living in the NFL as a ball player, and I realized I'm going to have to do something else. I did get to finish my athletic career as an Olympic weightlifter and then did lose my sight in my 20s and invented a way that blind and visually impaired people can access movies and television. And we serve the 13 million blind and visually impaired Americans and many more around the world through our narrative television network. Out of that, I was asked to make speeches and then to write books. To me, writing was probably the farthest thing from my mind. I'm embarrassed to say when I could read with my eyes like 
most of your audience does. I don't know that I ever read a whole book cover to cover. I thought I was going to go and make my living as an athlete and never really occurred to me to be a writer. And then after losing my sight in these things, as part of a speaking tour I was on, two of my colleagues, Dr. Robert Schuler and Dr. Dennis Waitley, really twisted my arm to write a book. So I wrote one. And I thought that would be it. And that was 30 books ago. And wow. now the movies and I have 10 million books in print with two dozen languages and nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. And it just writing has become such an important part of my life. Well, I am very, very thankful that you did start writing because I discovered you through that book, The Ultimate Gift. In fact, I was so moved by that. The Christmas that I discovered The Ultimate Gift, I went out and purchased a case of it, and I gave it out to everybody I could think of for Christmas gifts. Well, thank you. Among all of my titles, that book opened a lot of doors. That was my seventh or eighth book, and all my books prior to The Ultimate Gift were nonfiction. I, you know, How to Succeed in Business and Success Secrets of Super Achievers and The Way I See the World and all these books, and I'd written a Great American Success Story with Steve Forbes and Donald Trump, and, you know, I had just written all of these nonfiction books and when they wanted another book I realized I've written I've written everything I know and a few things I only kind of suspect so I thought you know if I'm going to write another book I better I better make something up so I wrote a novel and The Ultimate Gift opened a whole new world for me and you know not only writing fiction and nonfiction I've done a book of poetry and quotes and all kinds of things that really have opened up some new avenues. When did you first realize you could write? What, what was your first book, first of all? It was a book? book called You Don't Have to Be Blind to See. I was on an arena tour on the West Coast with Dennis Whaley and Robert Schuler, and one day I'm sitting backstage, and Dr. Schuler came up to me and said, you know, I think you ought to write a book, and I thought he was crazy. And about that time, the MC introduced me, and I went out in the arena to do my hour. And I, when I came off stage... Dennis Whaley was standing there, and he said, hey, while you were out there, Dr. Schuler and I worked it all out, and uh-huh. you know, I didn't know what he was talking about. I thought he meant the ground transportation to the plane. I had no idea what they worked out, but he said, no, while you were out there, uh, Dr. Schuler called his publisher over Thomas Nelson, and I agreed to write the foreword to your book, and we need a manuscript in 90 days, uh-huh. and that's how I became a writer, and I just went back, and I wrote my story of losing my sight and giving up my football career and becoming a weightlifting champion and starting my television network. And it was just my story. I wrote, I wrote what I knew. And I still didn't think I was a writer. I, I, I just looked at it like uh, telling my story, and I wrote it down and didn't really consider myself a writer at that time. Right. Before you actually wrote those words down, you were telling your story on stage and in other areas as well. So you had to reflect back on your life story before then, correct? Right. It's all a story. I mean, to me, writing is like you and I are talking now. I mean, I write books I can't read that are made into movies I can't see. So the the, the genre, the medium uh, doesn't matter so much to me. And, you know, as I said, I was never a reader. After losing my sight, Uh, due to uh, digital books available from the National Library for the Blind and high-speed audio players, I read a book every day. There has not been a day in the last 22 years I haven't read a whole book cover to cover. I get up very early in the morning, and uh, I usually have finished a book before they pick me up um, to to come to work. So, I mean, uh, I I am a voracious reader, and uh, that, I think, made me 
think about being a writer, but it's still an audio format to me. I mean, I'm embarrassed to tell your listeners, I don't know how to type. <laughs> there, there's a lady down the hall here in my office, and I have dictated all 30 of my books. I write a weekly syndicated column read throughout North America, Europe, and Asia in magazines and newspapers, and I've done that. I've written almost a 1,000 of those over the last 20 years. And on my screenplays for the movies, I dictate everything to Dorothy. I mean, the email that went back and forth between you and me setting up this interview, right. Dorothy typed. I do not know how to type. I, I tried once, and uh, my 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 weightlifter hands were not made for those little <laughs> keyboards, i got to tell you. I believe it. You know, you mentioned your syndicated column. I've got to tell this story as well. As I said, I, I am a big Jim Stovall fan. I subscribe to a ton of interesting tidbits of information out there. I mean, I'm subscribing all the time to things because I think they might be useful. And eventually I find that they're not useful or eventually I find that, you know what, my inbox is getting too clogged. I'm going to unsubscribe to everything. And every time I come to yours, I'm like, I am not unsubscribing to that. Well, you're good. I just love it. It's uplifting and insightful. Well, thank you. And here again, I never planned to be a columnist. After I did that very first book, you don't have to be blind to see, a business journal guy in my hometown called me and said, can you write a column? And I literally asked, what's a column? <laughs> and he said, it's... Uh, 750 to 1,000 words of anything you want to talk about. Right. And I said, you think your people care whatever I want to talk about? And he said, I do. And I started writing it every week. After a while, I called and I said, Ralph, is this column mine or yours? He said, it's yours. You do whatever you want with it. So we started adding more magazines and newspapers. And they tell me now there's about 3 million people a week on three continents read that column. It's astounding to me. It is astounding. How do you come up with things to write about? Well, that's a great question. And I, I think when you become a columnist or a writer or a novelist or anything else, you become in tune for things. I mean, I am forever listening to business things on the satellite radio or talking to people or reading books and uh, little things come up and you know I'll tell Dorothy add this to our column list and in the beginning I thought I will run out of things to talk about you know I've written over a thousand and our list of things that I need to write about is growing faster than I'm writing columns so it's it's truly amazing and you know and I, I just started a new series of books they're called homecoming historicals they're they're novels but they have a historical angle to them and I did one on Harry Truman, but I'm doing one on Will Rogers and one on Mark Twain. And these are two gentlemen that wrote a column every day for decades. I used to think, how do these guys do this? And I've gone back and read their columns, and it's truly astounding. Kind of like talking to a friend every day. You know, those kind of things really work. The only thing you have to do to make the thing you're writing commercial or viable for other people is a principle I call, so what? This happened to me, and I thought this. Then I asked myself, so what? What does this mean to anybody but you? Who cares? Right. And the who cares, so what, is what turns my column from just my own personal thoughts to something that hopefully is valuable to people around the world. Very interesting. Uh, let me ask you about one of your books, The Millionaire Map. It's like your journey from poverty to wealth. Yeah, it, it really is. I've written a lot of business books and economics and things. People always ask me, well, how did you really get started or how should I start? 
you know, the only story I know is my own. So I thought, I'm going to tell my story. Well, one of the principles I talk about in that book in the beginning is don't take advice from anybody that doesn't have what you want. There are all kinds of people out there trying to tell you how to get rich, thin, get in a relationship, tell you how to do all these things. And before you take advice from anybody, you better make sure they have what they're telling you about. So I had to go home, talk to my family, and I said, guys, i got to do something really awkward in this book. They agreed, and so I had to go back to Merrill Lynch and Bank of America, where I have some of my funds invested. And I said, I need you guys to do an audited financial statement showing I have no debt and excluding my television network, all my book royalties, my movie royalties, everything I own, just invested in these accounts we have in excess of $10 million. And they did that, and that's in the book. And it was hard to do. Hardest thing in all my books I've had to do. But I believe my business is all my private business right up until I'm telling you to make choices in your life based on what I'm telling you. And then my business becomes your business. Give me a little bit of comparison between this one and your very first book and your comfortability with writing about your life and sharing that and exposing all of it to millions of people? Well, I have written several books. You don't have to be blind to see in the way I see the world. And then Millionaire Map, as you point out, that are autobiographical to a certain point. I mean, I don't believe anybody should write a total biography unless you're Abraham Lincoln or somebody. He's a historical figure. I am not. I am not one of those. So I mean, unless you're journaling or writing a diary for cathartic purposes or something, the only reason we should talk about ourselves is to help communicate things to other people that are valid in their world. Otherwise, it's just self-indulgent or therapeutic, and there's certainly right. nothing wrong with that. So when I write, I always do my so what. You know, when I talk about, well, I woke up and I lost my sight, well, you know, I want my readers to understand my problems are no bigger or worse or more valid than yours or anybody listening to us now. I mean, we're all only as big as the smallest thing it takes to divert us from where we want to be. So whether it's me losing my sight or someone else losing their job or their marriage falls apart or they're having trouble with their kid or the, the financial problems, whatever the case may be, I mean, we all have problems. Mine are certainly no bigger or less than anyone else. So when I can talk about my own challenges in the context of what does this mean to all of us collectively, then it becomes valid. Very good. Interesting. So how do you write? Do you write every single day? Do you have a place that you write? I know that you dictate. Is it something that you do every single you know, day? I am going to tell you I've met with many, many writers, everybody from amateurs to best-selling authors, and uh, they all do it different, but I'm probably the weirdest person you will ever talk to, okay? So I would not advise an aspiring writer to do what I do, but this is what I do. I write when I have something I want to say. I just finished two books. One will be out late this year. One will be out in the next year, and I won't write again probably till this fall. I don't write anything, and then when I sit down to write, I write very quickly. Dorothy Thompson, down the hall from me, is one of the most talented grammarians and editors in the business. When I sat down to write The Ultimate Gift, I had nothing in my mind except the first line of that book, which I still remember. You asked me to read something from one of my books. The first line says, It was my 80th year of life on earth and my 53rd year in the practice of the law that I was to undertake an odyssey 
that would change my existence forever. And I dictated that to Dorothy, and I had her read it back to me, and I said, now that sounds good. I wonder who said that, and what is he talking about? And over the next five days here in my office, between my other appointments and phone calls and interviews like the one I'm doing with you now, I dictated the ultimate gift. I wrote the whole thing in five days around the rest of my activities during the day. There's never an edit, never a rewrite. The way I dictated that to Dorothy and the way she read it back is the way four or five million people around the world have read that book. And that was certainly the easiest. Others of my books have taken a month to write or two months to write. But that would be the outside. I dictate everything just like I'm talking to you. Uh, Books to me are an audible or, or a verbal kind of experience, just like the books I read are audio. To me, I talk to Dorothy like I'm talking to you. The fact that she types it and it goes into a computer and comes out on paper somewhere is really beyond me. I have no understanding of spelling. I have no understanding of punctuation, paragraphs. I have none of that. I don't do that. I had a guy come in one time from the Wall Street Journal, and he wanted to do shadow me for a week and watch whatever I do when I'm running my company or writing a book. And I happened to be writing a book at that time, so he sat there while I'm dictating. And one point, probably an hour into this, I probably dictated 10 pages. I said, paragraph. And I go to the next one. And then he asked Dorothy, look, he, he just wrote 10 pages. I mean, there's been, a, there's been hundreds of paragraphs. So why did he just say that? And Dorothy said, well, he saw Perry Mason do that once with Dallas Street. He thinks it's really cool. <laughs> so every once in a while, I'll just say paragraph, you know, period. Right. And then I go on. That may or may not be a paragraph. I have no idea. I just right. talk like I'm talking to you. That's really cool because what I tell folks are to just to get those ideas out, in a free write, and it sounds like that's what you do is just the free write, but your free write is pretty much crafted and thought through. So do you think through before you speak it, or you just it just comes out? Um, sometimes I have a little bit of idea, and other times it just comes out, and Dorothy will read a paragraph back to me if I ask, but mostly I finish a chapter, she reads it back to me, I make any adjustments that make sense, we go on, and I never touch that chapter again until the book comes out as an audio book that's already out in the marketplace, and then I'll listen to it. And I have had that weird experience. I used to hear authors talk about, and I didn't believe them, but it, it happens to me. I will hear long passages of my books that I have no memory of. And, really? you know, I write detective novels about a blind guy who's a detective. I write time travel things, I write self-help books, economic books, I write my ultimate gift novels, I just started writing my historical series, so I write everything there is, but there are times where I will hear someone reading this back and I have no knowledge of that at all. I, I was caught up just like a reader, I had no idea where we're going here, and what that process is, I cannot tell you, it's somewhere between left brain and divine. I have no no idea. <laughs> well, story is universal, really. And a, a good story, whether you're speaking it or listening to it, it can transform your life. You mentioned your latest title. You said you're writing two books. You have one that's called One Season of Hope. Tell me about that. Is that one that's already out or not yet? Yeah, one Season of Hope is out right now. If okay. any of your listeners want to 
look at a free sample chapter, either print or audio of that, you can go to Jim Stovall Books, S-T-O-V-A-L-L, Jim Stovall Books, and you can download a chapter and read it. The book is out now. It moved up really well in its first week on all the charts. Uh, It's already been optioned for a movie, which is the fastest I've ever had that happen. It's a story about a young man named Bradley Hope, and he's in his senior year of high school. And he is stricken with a pretty devastating disease, and he wants to play his last season of football and finish high school. He goes to Harry S. Truman High School. So throughout this story, the football coach who's telling it from his perspective passes by this uh, statue of Harry Truman every day as he goes into the school. And he stops and talks to President Truman, reminisces or has these thoughts Throughout the book, you hear this kid's story, you have a motivation, inspiration, a dramatic story, but on the other hand, you have these historical vignettes from Harry Truman, and it's the first in the new series. The next one's called Will to Win, and it'll be set at another fictitious high school, Will Rogers, and then Making Your Mark on Mark Twain, and so on and so forth. We'll, we'll do probably a dozen of these or more. Those are really neat. We can get a sample at jimstovallbooks.com, and we'll make sure and put that in the show notes as well. A lot of our listeners struggle to think of themselves as a writer, or they feel like they're, my life is boring, or they haven't even thought much about writing about their lives at all. What advice would you give them? I believe everybody's got a story. And uh, I think everybody's story is absolutely fascinating. When I first started narrative television, because we had to fill time on the networks because our movies wouldn't fill the whole two-hour block, I interviewed a lot of classic film stars. I interviewed, you know, Catherine Hepburn and Jimmy Stewart and Frank Sinatra and all these people. And one of them was Steve Allen, the original host of The Tonight Show. And he used to do live television. And before The Tonight Show started, he did a show called Voice of the People. And it was a one-hour live interview show, coast-to-coast, in live television. Well, one week, his um, guest doesn't show up. So with three minutes to going on national air, he tells his, his manager, get out and get me somebody. Well, they actually ran out the street, stopped a cab, and got a Lithuanian cab driver to come in and sit down. And Steve Allen interviewed this guy for an hour, and his story was absolutely fascinating. And Mr. Allen figured out after that, everybody's got a story. So he would, from time to time, just interview average people. And, you know, my characters in my books, they're just normal people that have the things in their lives. You know, what intrigues readers are reading extraordinary circumstances that happen to ordinary people. What I relate to is, wow, that could happen to me. And uh, you, you see yourself doing that. Generally, I, I mean, a superhero is not as intriguing as an average guy that gets in a above-average situation and rises to the occasion. And I, I think that works. And, you know, and a lot of people don't think that their story is, is that intriguing, but it really, really is. And um, one of my favorite authors, Louis L'Amour, just because he's a great storyteller, always said that, you know, I see myself in the oral tradition. I'm not a writer. I'm not an intellect. I'm the guy at the edge of the firelight telling you a story. Exactly. Very interesting. Everybody has some sort of, like you said. Yeah, so water, who cares? And that's where we make it relevant to everybody. Exactly. Because someone is 
either going through what you've gone through right now or about to go through what you've gone through, and they might benefit from your story. I mean, we all have those things. The process of memorializing your thoughts, ideas, or concepts is very, very powerful. And uh, I like to tell all your listeners, I have 10 million books in print, my phone number and my emails in all of them. Uh, I hear from countless people around the world, and I respond to everybody. So, I mean, anytime, you know, you think your problem is overwhelming, you need somebody to talk to, you can go to jimstovall.com or jim at jimstovall.com, shoot me an email, or like I said, it's in all the books, but 918-627-1000, and I I return all my calls. You know, I want people to know that there is absolutely nothing extraordinary about great writers other than they developed their craft. I I think one of the best writers of the 20th century was James Michener, who wrote all of these great novels and everything. And one of his last books was autobiographical, and it was entitled The World is My Home. And he said the average aspiring writer is filled with seven volumes of garbage. Uh, He didn't actually say garbage, but I'll paraphrase for your audience. (laughs) He said they are filled with seven volumes of garbage, and unfortunately they're not willing to write through that to get to the gold beneath. And that's what I see us doing. Several years ago, they re-released an updated version of Ernest Hemingway's Movable Feast. And in the back of that, they have some of his early drafts of that work. And Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald have been two guys that have always been intimidating to me. I mean, when I read their books, I don't want to write more. I want to quit. They're so good. But when they, when they released the movable feast with some of his first drafts in the back of it, I realized, man, uh, my first drafts are better than Hemingway. I mean, <laughs> it's just a matter of he, he was willing to keep writing. Exactly. That's what we all need to do, just keep writing. Well, Jim, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your life with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, you are a lot of fun, and you're doing some great work, and more than anything, encouraging other people to write. We need more great writers out there. Anytime there's anything I can do for you or those people you serve, you let me know. Great information from Jim today. Now it's time to peek into the Life Story Toolkit and share information on one particular tool that you might consider using if you're writing or would like to start writing about your life. The Life Story Toolkit is sponsored by lifestorytelling.com where you can find your life theme, discover where to start writing, and craft your life into a compelling story. This episode's Life Story Toolkit features a neat community called Scriggler. Their tagline is, a new type of writing, blogging, and debating platform. You can find it at Scriggler.com. Scriggler is first and foremost a very supportive community. It's not just for writers. It's for anyone who feels the need to express themselves. It can be stories, poetry, opinions, essays, commentaries, research. There really are no limits. Contributors range from absolute novices making their first steps in fiction or poetry writing to established authors with multiple books under their belt. You can also think of Scriggler as a blogging platform with a strong social networking aspect. This is what sets them apart from everyone else. They've created the whole range of tools and algorithms to make sure that their readers are able to find the material particularly relevant to them. 
I've tested it out and it's pretty cool. There are different virtual clubs that you can be in depending on what you enjoy reading or writing. And that brings me to another point. This is a great website for people who just want to read new writing on any subject under the sun. There's plenty of advice to be found on all aspects of publishing, promotion, and improving your writing. Information and links to Scriggler.com will be in today's show notes. Well, that's all we have for today. I'd like to thank Jim Stovall for sharing his love for writing with us. Show notes, a free download, and all the links mentioned today are at writeofyourlife.com slash Jim Stovall. If you like this podcast, please share it with someone who has an interesting story to tell or who enjoys listening to interesting stories. We'd love your comments, so head over to writeofyourlife.com and tell us what you think. To be notified of future episodes, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your app of choice. Of course, we're also on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great conversation. My handle is Right of Your Life. This show is put together by consulting producer Nick Jaworski at podcastmonster.com and myself, Stacy Curtis. We hope that today you have the right of your life. <laughs>